Well, it's good to be with you here this morning. And if you didn't get a chance over the last week to see um, session one in this new series on the book of Daniel, I highly encourage you to go to our archives, Christchurch.us slash media, and watch last week's messages. Pastor Dan and Pastor Dave did a great job of giving us an overview, especially of the history of the book of Daniel, of where we find ourselves in this very important book of the Old Testament. In addition, if you haven't picked up the little Daniel Lionheart bookmark that we created for you, I encourage you to do that as well. And more so, I encourage you to take advantage of the back. On the back, we have listed all the chapters we'll be journeying through over the next several weeks. And on top of that are some questions just to sit with during the week. Very simple resource, but do not underestimate this resource. The, the fact of actually practicing sitting with Jesus and his word during the week, especially as you reflect on the questions here and what that can do to prepare your heart, to prepare your mind, to prepare your soul for what is shared here on Sunday morning. So take advantage of those two things as we journey into Jan Daniel chapter 2 this morning. If you have a Bible with you, either on your phone, your iPad, I saw an iPad taking some pictures up here earlier with the kids, it's great, um, or the book right there in the, the Bible right there in the pew in front of you, open up to Daniel chapter 2. I will be doing a running commentary, so to speak, on Daniel chapter 2 for us. Um, most of the time, the verses won't be on the screen this morning with me, but I want you to follow along in the scriptures. So take a moment and find Daniel. Again, if you're not familiar with looking up one of those buried Old Testament books, that's okay. The Bible has a table of contents. And go for it. Use it. The opening of Daniel chapter 2 could have been written in this day and age. Daniel 2.2 says this, in the second year of his reign, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams, his mind was troubled, and he could not sleep. Sleepless nights, stress, anxiety, worry are in epidemic proportions we know of nowadays. Study after study, research after research, report after report comes out of how stress-filled our society is. In fact, if you do a Google search, you will find this. And I came across one title of a report that I think captures the essence of this. The report was entitled, The United States of Stress. The saddest trend many of these studies show is that there is a correlation between stress and anxiety and worry between how young you are and how much more you have. So in other words, even our teenagers, yes, even our teenagers, as Pastor Pete and Aaron can testify, they are stressed out. Our young adults are, re are experiencing stress of epidemic levels, and it's having an effect. And that's why this morning we simply want to sit together, open God's word, and look at two different approaches to handling stress, and then leave you to decide which approach makes most sense, especially in our day and age. The first approach you might call King Neb's approach to stress. Neb is what he would like to be known as versus Nebuchadnezzar. All right, so King Neb. 600 years before the birth of Jesus, Nebuchadnezzar presided over one of the world's richest, most powerful nations. 
He took control of basically the whole Middle East by his power and might. And under his 40-year reign, the king of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar, systematically developed Babylon to be the place to be. It had ships, gigantic ships, that conquered the Mediterranean with 90 men crews. They built a bridge that spanned the mighty Euphrates. And under Nebuchadnezzar, it also created one of the seven wonders of the ancient world, the Hanging Gardens of Babylon. Are you getting the picture here? Nebuchadnezzar is no rookie. He's no lightweight. In this day and age, he would have done well running a Fortune 500 company, let alone a whole nation, fairly easily. He probably played a scratch golf game or the Babylonian equivalent on the weekends. And he ran in the fast lane and was at all, wanted to be at all the opening galas. Yet, as the old Shakespearean line goes, uneasy lies the head that wears the crown. Uneasy lies the head that wears the crown. Nebuchadnezzar knew what it was to try to get a good night's sleep, battering the worries of his life and his future. And how many here can relate? How many here last night even had that sleepless, restless night? Here are some of the things that as my head hits the pillow are going through my head right now. What am I going to preach on Thanksgiving? A little commercial, I'm preaching on Thanksgiving morning. What am I going to preach on Thanksgiving morning? Where is Maya going to go to college? How am I going to pay for Maya's college? Why didn't my cortisone shot work on my sticky trigger finger? It's literally stuck. Am I going to have surgery for that now? Our car just got totaled last week. How are we going to get by with one car? That's me in this little week. I know I'm not alone with this. And of course, will the Blackhawks ever make it back to the playoffs? My point is that Nebuchadnezzar probably was plagued with concerns big and trivial, overwhelming and ridiculous, and all of us wonder and worry about things to come, as it says in verse 29, don't we? So what did King Neb do? And as we've been summarizing, we, we kind of glean the first way of Neb's approach. His first response to stress was to toss and turn alone at night. Have you ever gone sleepless and solo like that? You wrestle with worries too large to tend to on your own, and yet you're unable to let someone help you with them for whatever reason. Have you been there? Then maybe you can relate to the second point of what Nebuchadnezzar does. The text says in 2.2, so the king summoned the magicians, the enchanters, the sorcerers, the astrologers to help him what he had dreamed, to help him tell him what he had dreamed. And stating more clearly to our second point of King Nebuchadnezzar's approach, he sought help from people he didn't really trust. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, there's this really odd dialogue between Nebuchadnezzar and his quote-unquote trusted advisors. They kind of go back and forth. And the key thing is that Nebuchadnezzar spins them. He says, listen, I'm not going to tell you my dream because I want you to tell me what I dreamed and then tell me what it means. And you're like, whoa, whoa, king, king, this is not how it works. 
right? First, you've got to tell us what you dreamed, and then we'll give you the thing that makes us look good. That's usually how it works, because they had these books, you see, that literally had dream interpretations, and so they would do the symbols of the dream, they go to the book, they look up the one that makes them look the best, and ensures their job for the future, and then they tell the person, the king especially, what he wanted to hear. But this time, Nebuchadnezzar wasn't going to fall for that. He was going to skip the little show and dance because this was too important for him. He was too worried about this. He lost too many sleepless nights about this. And he wanted verification of what he was being told was the truth. Have you ever been in a position of desperate longing for an answer like that? Where you're dealing with worries and, and, and that pat answer, that trivial response, that, that when your friend responds, you just, oh, you, you know it's that pat answer and it just ticks you off because they're not listening. They're not hearing you. They're just telling you something to make you feel better. But they're not with you. You don't want someone to do that sort of dance on an important subject in your life. You want someone who does listen, who's with you sincerely, who's with you through the long term, who's with you through all the questions and helps you to wrestle through together. Well, perhaps due to a lack of sleep or the realization his trusted advisors weren't so trusted all these years, we find something else very common. This is the third point of Nebuchadnezzar's way. Something very common to this day and age, and that's rage therapy. In verse 12, this, they're saying, the wise men telling Nebuchadnezzar, king, this can't be done. What you're asking for can't be done. This made the king so angry and furious that he ordered the execution of all the wise men of Babylon. So the decree was issued to put the wise men to death, and the men were sent to look for Daniel and his friends to put them to death. Stressed, lack of sleep, anger, fatigue leads to rage therapy, as you can call it, a form of venting. And this can take many forms. We might be more familiar with road rage or alcohol abuse, or substance abuse, or shopping therapy. Whatever form of raging your venting takes, it's never a good thing. It's never a good thing for the one enacting it or the one receiving it, especially if you have a stressed out, sleepless king on your back. As we now approach Daniel today, we will see something different. We will glean some best practices, what I like to call formational points, where Daniel displays a more helpful way of working with worry and stress and anxiety that we can apply through the everyday moments of our life. But as we do, I want to begin, I want to have us realize and notice something that is at both helpful and challenging for us, and is that Daniel's actions are the result of a way of life he and his closest friends committed to. They committed to this way of life in the good and not so good times. So these aren't just one-off points, but these are a way of life that they've entered into together. 
And remember, Daniel definitely knew something about stress, even though he was in a position of authority in Babylon. Last week, think of the history that we learned. We learned that he already been marched hundreds of miles away from his homeland of Palestine, separated permanently from his family, forced into a Babylonian indoctrination program, and robbed, at least publicly, of his name and given a new one to honor a different god. No, because Daniel was considered a trainee in the king's core wise men, he'd also been put on the cut list in a very literal way. So he knew stress, and that would stress anybody out. But what is striking, however, is how Daniel chooses to handle his worries about his future. But again, these choices didn't come out of a vacuum or on a whim. They were part of a way of life he and his friends committed their lives to. And I'm going to take an ever so quick tangent to the Daniel chapter 6. And as we look in Daniel chapter, chapter 6, we're going to find something very familiar. Spoiler alert. All right, so if you haven't read Daniel chapter 6, spoiler alert. All right. Daniel chapter 6, we have very similar circumstances. His life is in jeopardy. We have a king raging. We have wise men manipulating the king. And we have a decree going out. Lots of parallels here. But don't miss this. The ruling goes out that they cannot pray to any other god except the king during this certain time frame. And Daniel 6, 10 to 11, we find this. But when Daniel learned about the law that had been signed, he went home and knelt down as usual in his upstairs room with its windows open toward Jerusalem. He prayed three times a day, just as he had always done, giving thanks to his God. Then the officials went together to Daniel's house and found him praying and asking for God's help, which they knew he was going to be doing because they knew of his way of life. Now again, just to drive this home, how does this have bearing? Last weekend was the Chicago Marathon. In 2016, my wife Linda ran the Chicago Marathon and every time I approach our car, we have that um, uh, World Vision Africa sticker on the back that says 26.2. And every time it catches me, I'm like, who ran the marathon? Because it wasn't going to be me, and it's not going to ever be me. But I'm like, oh, yeah, Linda ran a marathon. And she just shakes her head and goes, get in the car. Now, imagine last week or in 2016, if I showed up the day of the marathon, Linda's lined up, the gun's about to go off, and she goes, what are you doing? As I line up next to her. I'm like, what do you mean, what am I doing? I'm going to run the marathon. And the gun goes off, and she takes off. She starts running. I start running. What's going to happen to me very shortly? I know you won't know it because I have my robe on, but I'm not that athletic, okay? I won't be able to last 26.2. I won't be able to last 0.6, probably. Why? Because I did not train like my wife trained. My wife organized her life around, to, around this task. She wanted to accomplish the Chicago Marathon. So she ate differently. She slept differently. She ran differently. She ran. 
She engaged in activities that were going to enable her to do what needed to be done when it needed it to be done. <coughs> Folks, as we continue on following Daniel today, the same is true for Daniel and his friends. As we just saw here in chapter 6, this is their way of life, just as he has always done. So as we glean from Daniel now, in Daniel 2, back in 2.14, I want us to be thinking, we pull off these points about stress and anxiety and how to cope with them. These aren't one-offs, but as you begin to unfold these as a way of life, of practice into your life, what needs to be done, when it needs to be done, can happen by the grace of God. In 2.14, when Ariok, the commander of King's Guard, had gone out to put to death the wise men of Babylon, Daniel spoke to him with wisdom and tact. Wisdom and tact. The guy at the door just told you he's here to execute you. And you talk to him with wisdom and tact. That speaks a lot. Verse 15, in response, or sorry, 2.14, or 15 there. He asked the king's officer, why did the king issue such a harsh decree? Ariok then explained the matter to Daniel. Verse 16, at this, Daniel went into the king and asked for time that he might interpret the dream for him. Then Daniel returned to his house and explained the matter to his friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So the first formational point that we see from Daniel when he's facing stress and anxiety is that you seek out a seasoned counselor to help you identify the source of your struggle. He inquired, why such a harsh response? What is going on? What is the backstory to this? And Daniel understood there can be no saving solution until you understand and you've narrowed it down to really what is the actual problem. And if you lay that over your own life, how many times are we wringing our hands and we're upset and we're worried and we're stressed, but it just seems like a fog? And it's not until we ask really questions of our stress, of our situation, that we really know what is at the core of the way I'm feeling. So we slow down, we seek out some help. And the second formational point this leads us to as you share your feelings with friends in the faith, unlike King Nebuchadnezzar, Daniel took his concerns to trusted, faith-filled friends. Daniel went in our speak to his small group, his spiritual accountability group, and poured out his heart. You know what a definition of stress is? Someone trying to repair every situation solo. I love that because you feel you have the whole burden on you. And it's not until you start sharing that burden that you're able to carry it. That's what good spiritual friends do, trusted friends. And in my experience, this is one of the hardest things for people to do when facing stress and anxiety. And far too often our tendency is to go inward and keep it to ourselves. And I would encourage you, lay this over your personal concerns, your worries, your struggles, and even, dare I say, your temptations. We want to keep it secret. It's not safe. It's not good. In addition to this two small groups I'm part of, a men's group and a couple's group my wife and I are part of, 
I sit with a spiritual director every month. If you're not familiar with a spiritual director, the name's usually a misnomer. A spiritual director doesn't direct me what to do. A spiritual director, through prayerful questions, simply asks thoughtful questions on my situations. Of, and he directs me to where God might be moving in my life. I need that. Because I can get caught up, of, I gotta bear this alone, and then when I meet with my spiritual director, he's like, Eric, what's really going on here? Because this doesn't seem like you right now. Could it be, could it be this? And I, I'm telling you, there's never a session I have with my director that I don't go A, B, C, and I never saw how those were connected and interrelated. It's amazing what God does for me in those times. Do you have a circle of trusted spiritual friends like that? Whether it's a spiritual director or a small group or a Stephen's minister even, do you have someone you can share with to help you carry the burden? To help clarify what is that burden that is really going on? So Daniel goes to a small group of close personal friends in verse 18. He urged them to plead for mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery so that he and his friends might not be executed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. So he just doesn't spew at his friends. He goes to them and says, I need you to be with me in this. And one of the ways I want you to be with me in this is I need you to pray. Pray now for wisdom. Pray now for clarity. And the point isn't simply talking to your friends or with your friends, but asking for prayer. When we're in the midst of anxiety and stress, we know our mind and heart and soul feel divided. It's torn, and we feel like we're going 100 directions. Prayer helps focus us. I love this reminder from Henry Nouwen. Jesus' response to our worry-filled lives is quite different. He asks us to shift the point of gravity. I love that. He asks us, Jesus asks us to shift the point of gravity, to relocate the center of our attention, to change our priorities. Jesus wants us to move from the many things to the one necessary thing. Shift the point of gravity. That's what prayer helps you do. When we pray, we are fighting the pull of the gravity of our concerns and are setting and plotting a new course around Jesus himself. We are no longer being pulled away from Jesus by our worries, but we are focusing our attention on Jesus and releasing those worries to him. And if you think of the famous passage in Luke 11 where it says, Martha, Martha, Jesus says, Martha, Martha, you are worried and upset about so many things. You're distracted. Your mind's a fog. Your soul's scattered. Only one thing is needed. And that one thing is just sitting with me. That's what prayer does. God can renew that relationship. He can give you that job. He can restore that child to you. And many times he uses prayer as the conduit. In verse 19, during the night, the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision. Having committed the matter to prayer with his trusted circle of faithful friends, Daniel trusted God to act. 
He trusted God to act. He did all that was humanly possible, and then he went to sleep. He let it in God's hands and didn't hold it in his. And what a contrast there is between the restlessness and sleeplessness of Nebuchadnezzar and the trusting sleep of Daniel. You know, something you may want to consider is that many of us, if we dare to admit it, may have been given visions by God. Maybe it was in a dream like Daniel. It can happen. Perhaps it was through a sermon or a song of, of worship on the radio. Or maybe it was as we're driving along when all of a sudden we felt that impulse, we felt that pull, that friend we're having coffee with, that trusted friend said the right thing at the right time. And the only thing we can say is, that's God. There was something special about that. I don't know what it is, but I keep going back to that. Folks, pay attention to those urges. Pay attention to those little pokes. That might be God poking you. Far too often we're like, oh, 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 yeah. We're distracted from those pokes. And we ignore it. And part of our growth as followers of Jesus happens when we learn to discern those promptings and movements of God's spirit in our life and respond accordingly as Daniel did. So in the middle of the night, God acts and Daniel followed obediently, which is our fifth formational point. He responds when God acted, even when it meant potential risk to himself. Even when it meant potential risk to himself, God gave him the vision. He's, you know, is it this or is it this? I hope this is right because if I go before the king and this isn't right, it's my life in my hands. But he responds. And through Daniel's faithfulness and trust in God with his faithful friends, they are rescued. They are rescued. But even before the rescue, verse 19, Daniel begins to give God the glory. In the midst of the tension still, he received the dream, but he hasn't verified it yet. He's still unsure. In the midst of it, he starts giving God the glory, thanking God for who he is and what he can do. Verse 19, then Daniel praised the God of heaven and said, praise be to the name of God forever and ever. Wisdom and power are his. How often do we really thank God in the midst of our stressors, of our circumstances, of our tensions? How often do we thank God when our car gets told and now we're ended up wondering, what are we going to do now? And additionally, notice that later, Daniel not only privately, because verse 19, he's given God glory privately, but in verse 27, he does it publicly. Daniel replied, no wise man, enchanter, magician, or diviner can explain the king the mystery he has asked about. So in other words, Daniel says, listen, king, yes, I'm going to tell you what you dreamed, and yes, I'm going to tell you the interpretation, but this isn't me, king. This isn't me. Now, he could have taken all the credit, and imagine all the fame and glory he could have had and how he would have went up in his own eyes. But Daniel doesn't do that. He defers all of it to God. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. 
That's who did this, king. Not me, not my friends. All we did is lay ourselves out at the God of heaven, the one who reveals mysteries. And God does what he does so well. He rescues, he heals, he sustains, he answers. There's a lot in Daniel chapter two, isn't there? As you take this this week into the everyday moments of your life, as you sit with it again, I encourage you to sit with it again. Begin to live into this as a way of life because as I said at the beginning of this chapter, these little one-offs, they can be viewed as self-help things. However, as people of faith after Jesus, we're putting Christ at the center of our life and we're doing life with Jesus at center. And when we do that, everything changes. I now don't have self-help points. I have formational points that help me stay close to the heart of Jesus. And when that happens, everything changes, especially my heart. So as you live into it this week, I want to offer three different things to try. First of all, I want to encourage you to reflect. Can continue to reflect right now. What is one area of your life, your relationships, or an issue about which you are feeling stress and anxiety? Now, hearing that question right now, you know something popped up in your head. Could it be that little poke right now of God? Saying, Haskins, yeah, Haskins, that one. You've been dodging that one. In fact, you've been downplaying it when you meet with your spiritual director. Not this month, buddy. Sit with it. And I want to encourage you to really, what is the core issue going on? And then reflect and share that. Share that with a trust, trusted, faith-filled friend, a small group, a pastor, a Stevens minister, a spiritual director, and Jesus. Yes, I did say, and Jesus. And I want you to do it in a very specific way. I want you to sit with whatever that thought was that came in your head, that stressor, that thing that's been keeping you up at night. I feel blank about blank because blank. Fill those in according to that point. Because now you're starting to name what's really going on. I feel angry about whatever it might be for you, because, and that's really, that's the, that's the thing right there, because why? If you can name it, you're halfway there to resolving it. A lot of times we, we, we take all this anxiety and stress, and that's all we have. We have anxiety and stress. We don't know why, because we never named it. But if we can start clearing out the fog, following those promptings of God, start naming those stressors, we then are able to more intentionally hand those off to our trusted spiritual friends for prayer, for accountability, for relief, for sharing the burden, for just asking other questions that need to be asked. And yes, I do know this is a whole lot easier said than done. That's why we can't do it alone. We need to share with those trusted friends. And the last one, I'm actually sneaking two in there as a good pastor does. Pray and praise. Pray and praise. 
Ask your trusted friends. Just don't share with them. Pray with them. Allow them to pray for you. Just this morning, I had someone say they have to go back uh, to another part of the world because their sister died. And they were saying how they're really worried about going in that situation. We prayed right in the middle of the atrium. I was like, can I pray for you now? And then yes. And all of us, when I opened up my eyes after we were praying, we all had tears in our eyes. But it was a sacred moment in the middle of the atrium this morning. And because of that, I'm able to praise God of his presence, of his provision. And they were just excited now to go with that prayer. That is how this should work. Today, as we do every week, it might be your time to come up front at the end of communion to have someone pray for you, for you to share your burden with a trusted elder here at church, with a trusted pastor, that we can pray for you and with you and praise God for what he is going to do in the end. We may not know what the future holds. You've heard this before. But we know who holds the future. We may not know what the future holds, but we know who holds the future. And when we start living into this as a way of life, it's amazing how the stress and the anxiety and the worry just starts dropping off. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for who you are and who you are in our lives. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the community of faith you put around us, your word that you give us, your invitation to come to you with our concerns and our burdens. Lord, we thank you for the life and way of life of Daniel. We ask that we may follow accordingly, not as one-off points, but as a way of life with you at center. We thank you and we love you. Amen.